we have heard on high. I sure am glad that Jesus has come and that he's coming again. Amen. To rapture all those that have trusted in him. I trust you're part of that many. And may the Lord help us. If you're not, you can be today. And if you'd like to find your place in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll start reading in verse 22. The title of the message, and this very unusual title, I don't think I've ever used this word in a title before. I'm not really a title person. I'd rather just go with the scriptures here. And, and, uh, but for the sake of internet and things like that and archiving messages, we give it a title. But the proof is in the pudding. I don't know if you've ever researched that saying, that is an abbreviated saying. It's not the original saying. It's maybe when it came here to America or something, we like to cut things a little shorter, but the original saying is the proof of the pudding is in the eating or the tasting. And right here, we, we have a cup of pudding and for those of you that are listening, I'm showing a cup of pudding that I purchased at a store and it's sealed. But you know, it can say pudding on the outside. It can even look like a container that we've had pudding before, that we've tasted pudding before. But you won't know that it's really pudding unless you actually taste it. And, uh, that, and, it, that, and the proof is in the pudding, right? It's not in the container. It's in the pudding itself. The, the saying uh, referencing pudding that came back from the 1700s there that dates back to then is they used to make pudding out of different meats and oats and spices and, and even cook blood. They put blood in it and cook that and steam it or, or boil it and, and they wouldn't know if it was good until they tasted it. And for many people, it became fatal because the meat was tainted. But the proof is in the pudding, or the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. Could I ask you today, could I ask you, is there any proof in your life? Is there any evidence in your life that you are saved. If you were brought to court today and stood before a judge, before a jury, before a prosecutor, and the prosecutor stood on one side and the judge uh, told you to stand on the other side so that you could hear the accusation brought against you, 
and they accused you of not being saved. And they say, I accuse this person right here of not being born again, of not being saved. Could, could I ask you what proof would you have or what evidence could you give that would persuade a judge or a jury that you were indeed a child of God, that you are saved. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul outlines that, that really the only reliable evidence of a person's salvation is your present life in Christ. Now we understand if you're saved, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, but there ought to be an evidence of that. I heard people say, well, God looks on the heart, don't he? Well, the heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? So that, that, that whole thing just kind of falls off to the way, and God does look on the heart. I, I'm glad he sees our heart. But what does man see? Man sees the outward. And there ought to be an evidence in every person to say there ought to be an evidence that you could present. I'm talking about a Bible evidence that you're saved. Just because you come to church does not mean you're saved. Just because you sang the hymns earlier does not mean that you're saved. Just because you brought a Bible to church or you gave money in the offering or just because you come to church every Sunday, that does not mean that you're saved. Now what it is though, it's a pretty good evidence uh, that there's something happening or something has happened in your life. There's a reason why you're here and you're doing these things. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4 it says this, he that saith, I know him, I know Jesus, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. There's going to be a change. There's going to be some evidence, some fruit that we're saved. There's three type of people that are underneath the sound of my voice today. There are those who are saved and they are living right. And then there's another group of people underneath the sound of my voice. They are saved. They've been born again, but they have some sin in their life. They're not living right. They're saved, but they're not doing what's right. And then there's a third group underneath the sound of my voice, uh, and it's those that are not saved. And there's been no change. There's been no evidence of a changed life. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read verse 24 and 25. Let's go back and start at verse 22. 
that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. If you were brought to court and you were accused of not being saved, what evidence could you bring to show forth that there's been a change in your life, that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior? And I would like for us to look in this passage and let's look at some evidence that ought to be present in our lives. For one, in verse 5 and verse 25, the one evidence that you should be able to bring before the court is to say, I speak the truth. In verse 25 it says, Wherefore, because you've been saved, because there's been a change in your life, here's the evidence that should come forth. In verse 25 it says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know, if you're lying all the time and you're never telling the truth, there's nobody going to accuse you of being a Christian. Matter of fact, they're going to probably accuse you of not being a Christian because that's what people that aren't Christians, that's what they do, they lie. And you see, if we're going to have a proof or evidence that, that we're saved, then the Bible says that we need to put away lying. That means there can't be any deceit in our life. You can't be one way on Monday or one way at school, one way at work, and then another way at church or, or with your family. You got to be careful with that. Jesus says that if you're saved, then you're going to put away lying. That means there can't be any deceit in your life. No hypocrisy, if you would. Not, not any double standards. Because right here is the problem with Christians that are, they want, they, yeah, they're saved, but they got sin in their life, or maybe even the sin of lying, and they haven't put that away. Right here is how God describes them. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, if you're going to speak the truth, and you're going to put away lying, which is a, a good evidence that there's something happened in your life, that there's been a change, that you're saved, then you're also going to have to be careful who you hang out with. Because if you're hanging out with people that lie, that steal, that cheat, that curse, and do whatever else, watch stuff on the internet, on their phones, that they shouldn't be watching, then my friend, you're guilty by association. No one will be able to ever say, well, hey, that guy's a Christian right there. Yeah, I heard him lying the other day. I heard, man, I watched him steal something. I watched him cheat over there. 
Yeah, I watched him do all. Yeah, that guy's a good Christian right there. No. We're to speak the truth. That's an evidence of being saved. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. In Psalms 4, 4, it says, Stand in all and sin not. Commune with your own heart on your bed and be still. What happens when we allow ourselves an outburst of anger? When we allow our flesh to have control over the spirit, you know what happens? We lose our testimony. If someone did something to you, and you got angry, you got mad, and oh, you let your anger come out, would anybody accuse you of being a Christian? Would they accuse you of being saved? What happens? What happens when we allow our emotions to control our responses? Well, here's what happens. There's a loss of testimony. We lose our testimony. Not only that, but we also lose our influence. They want to soul listen to you. If they see you acting like that, because they're not going to see a change in you to say, well, my goodness, I act that way. Why would I want to be saved? You remember when Jesus was on the cross and they were riling him, the two thieves on the side were riling at Jesus and, <coughs> and the crowd was mocking him and, and all these things. What did Jesus do? He didn't answer a word. Matter of fact, he looked up to his father and prayed and said, Father, forgive them. How about Moses? Moses saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. So Moses went to the aid of that Hebrew and he killed the Egyptian. And Moses hid the body and thought that he would be held a savior or a, or, or a hero for doing that. Well, it wasn't long after that that he saw two Hebrews fussing and fighting over something. And he went to separate them and immediately they said, uh, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us just like you killed that Egyptian? You understand, he had a testimony at that point in time. And we need to be careful to not allow our emotions to rule in our body. We ought to be filled with the Spirit. That means under the control of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 27. Here's another evidence that you ought to have that you could present to someone if they accused you of not being saved. Here's another one. <coughs> it says, Neither give place to the devil. Wow. They say, well, sir, here's an evidence as to why I can say that I'm saved. I flee youthful lust. I don't give in to temptations. Oh, they come at me, but with the help of God, I just say no. When someone offers me something that I know I shouldn't do, I say no. 
When, when I'm tempted to disobey, I say, no, I'm going to do what's right because God said it's right for me to obey my parents. When I'm tempted to, to lie or, or, or steal or cheat or, or even get angry, I, I, I choose to allow the Holy Spirit to have control of me instead of me giving place uh, to the devil. Matter of fact, there's some things that, that I've cut out of my life. Hey, I, I don't get on those games anymore that has the wrong kind of music or even the wrong chat rooms and people, I see people cussing and all these kind of things. I don't want to be around that kind of stuff. I don't want it to influence me. Matter of fact, I don't listen to the kind of music I used to listen to. I only listen to gospel music now. I only listen to Christian God-honoring gospel music. Not all gospel music is God-honoring. And may the Lord help us in these days, in these last days, to not go the contemporary way. Let's just stick with the old paths. Because right here is what's going to happen. If you give place to the devil in your thoughts, those thoughts are going to become an action. And then before long, that action is going to become a habit. And you're like, you ever once how somebody cusses all the time? They didn't start off that way. Matter of fact, they probably grew up and someone probably washed their mouth out with soap the first time they heard them cuss. And they told them not to do that no more. But what happened? They kept hanging around people that cuss. They kept listening to cuss words. And before long, their mind was filled with those types of thoughts. Those thoughts turned into actions. And those actions became habits in their life. But your honor, Mr. the judge, I like to present the evidence that I give no place to the devil. Look at verse 28. It says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Right here's another evidence. I've given myself to the Lord. I, I've given myself to God. I've given my time and my treasures and my talents to the Lord. I've purposed in my heart that I'm not going to rob God of my time, of the time that's due him, of my treasures and my talents that are due to him. I used to steal, but I don't steal no more. Why? Because it's wrong. And I don't want to disappoint my Savior. I want to give myself to him. Matter of fact, I work so that I can also be a help to others. Look at verse 29. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Your honor, the reason that I know that I'm a Christian. First of all, I believed in Jesus as my Savior. But there's some, here's some evidence I would like to bring before the court is I don't speak evil anymore. 
I don't even bother watching it on TV or on the internet or on my favorite streaming apps. Uh, matter of fact, uh, when I'm at school, I don't hang around those people that speak evil. I don't hang around <coughs> with friends that aren't living for the Lord. And matter of fact, I've cut out even Christian slang out of my vocabulary. In 2 Timothy 2.16 it says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Can I just caution Christians today to not be using slang and using Christian cuss words if you would? <coughs> All they will do is lead to more ungodliness. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Nothing bad. Why? Because that sets you apart. That's evidence that there's been a change in your life. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Instead of making fun of somebody, instead of cutting somebody down, <coughs> instead of calling somebody a bad word, why don't you edify them? Why don't you lift them up and encourage them instead? Verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Here's another evidence that I'm saved, is I don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't disappoint the Holy Spirit. I don't break his heart anymore. Oh, I used to but I don't anymore. I allow him to have control over me. And I don't want to do anything to hinder <coughs> that relationship between me and him. In verse 31 it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Your Honor, here's some of the last keys of evidence I would like to present on my defense to say that I'm a child of God, I'm saved, is I have no bitterness in my heart. I'm not angry toward anybody. I don't hold a grudge. I, I, I'm not holding on to something that somebody did 20 years ago that upset my apple cart so bad you know, it bothered me so bad. I, I've given that up. I've given that to the Lord. And I've asked God to help me with that. And then I've quit exercising wrath. You know what wrath is? That's a boiling passion. Somebody ever do something to you you didn't get your way and boy, you just, you just blurted out something and you just let your anger show. I don't do that anymore. And then we got the next word here, something else I don't do. He says in anger. I don't, I don't allow myself to pitch a fit when I don't get my way. I don't go out to the corner and start pouting because I'm angry and I'm mad because something didn't go my way. And then the word clamor here. That means argument. I don't want to argue no more. I just want to say, yes, Lord. I accept what you have for me. 
And then it goes on to say that I've put away evil speaking. That's hurtful words. Has anybody ever been hurt by words? Oh, they say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words do hurt. And not just the words that people say against us, but the words we say against others. They do hurt. I, I've put that away in my life. I don't do that anymore. I don't find pleasure. You know, we, we, there's a lot of evil speaking going on in our world today. You know, from the river to the sea, that's evil speaking. That's wanting to decimate a population. That's wanting to kill someone and wipe them off the face of the earth. That is evil speaking. Anybody that says things like that, guess what? There's no evidence that they're saved, that they've trusted in the Lord. That type of speech is not right. And then lastly it says, I've, I don't have any malice. You know what malice is? Is you look at somebody that's done something to you and you say, man, I'll get you back later. Yeah, I'm going to get you. Instead of praying for them and asking God to help them and, and to help you deal with this, you say, I'll get you back later. Your Honor, I don't do that. Why? Because a Christian shouldn't do that. And then in verse 32, I would like to bring my last, my last evidence before the court. And it says, And be ye kind one to another tenderhearted, forgiven one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Your Honor, I'd like to present to the court that God has changed my heart. I used to have a hard heart. Oh, I used to only want to do what was in it for me and what, was, what made me feel good. But now God has given me a tender heart. I'm tenderhearted toward others. Not only that, but I would like to say that I also am forgiving to others. Like Jesus on the cross that said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And why do I do all that? It's because I have been forgiven. I was a sinner on my way to a devil's hell. But Jesus died for me. Jesus took all these nasty, ugly sins that we've just mentioned in his body, all these sins that I have done in his body, and he died for me. He took my place so that I could be forgiven. And now, I want to exercise that same type of forgiveness. There's three types of people underneath the sound of my voice. You're saved and you're living right. There's none of these things that's been mentioned that could be brought up against you in a court of law. There's none of these sins right here that could be brought up against you and accuse you of not being a Christian. You're right with God. I trust that there's many people underneath the sound of my voice that are saved and living right. There's a second group of people underneath the sound of my voice, and that's those that are saved but they're not living right. They've allowed some of these sins that's been mentioned, maybe some other sin, 
to keep them from being right with God, to keep them from having the right kind of testimony they ought to have. And then there's a last group underneath the sound of my voice. That's a group that's not saved. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You say, I, I'm hearing your message here, and I, I'm still in this same thing right here. I, I, there's been no change. There, there's no, been no evidence. Uh, oh, I've tried to do good. I've tried to do better, but I just keep on failing. And I realize that I've never been saved. I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. But I'd like to put my faith in Him today. Would you simply call out to the Lord and ask Jesus to save you? Admit that you're a sinner, that you've sinned against God, you've trespassed against a holy and righteous God. You've broken His law. But Jesus came and He took your place. He died on an old rudder cross, was, was buried and rose again for your justification. And you call out to him today and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Oh, I've sinned against you, but I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you gave your life a ransom for me. You took my place. I'm not deserving of this, but Lord, today I put my faith in you. Please be my Savior. And you too can be saved today. Christian, if you're not living right, if there's things in your life that shouldn't be there, now's the time to confess that. It's time to get right with God. Jesus is coming again. And if you are living right, ask God to keep you there. The Bible says to guard our heart with all diligence because it don't take much to allow our flesh to take lead over the Spirit. And may the Lord help us to be right with Him.